Hello, and welcome to One Intarnation, Tar Heel Blog's Hot Take Podcast. On this episode, we're recapping UNC's exciting victory over Duke on homecoming. I'm Tanya Bondurant, and with me as always is Brandon Anderson. Brandon, how did you enjoy yesterday's game? That was some of the wildest stuff I think I've seen in quite a while. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And, of course, I say it's fun because the Tar Heels came away with a victory. So, you know, can't be mad at that. It is definitely only fun because they won. Because for most of the fourth quarter, I was pretty convinced that it was just, like, destined to end in some kind of heartbreaking fashion. And it almost did. Carolina did every single thing that they possibly could have to make that a situation to where it would probably end in heartbreak. I'm kind of amazed that it didn't end that way. Um, We'll dive into this in a little bit, I'm sure, but that last defensive stop was just... Thank God that happened, because otherwise we'd be having a whole other conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I think the strange thing about yesterday's game is, is that Sam Howell really probably had his worst game as a Tar Heel so far. Um, I mean, if you look at the stats and see that he threw for 227 yards, that doesn't seem bad. Uh, Two touchdowns doesn't seem bad. But he threw two interceptions, and he only completed 10 passes, which was kind of unusual for him. Uh, What did you see from Hal that you think led to sort of a lackluster day? Um, the conversation that was taking place in Slack made it seem like Duke just wasn't really giving UNC anything in the middle, and I think that had a lot to do with it. Whenever a defense kind of takes away any type of, you know, quick passes that you can get off kind of in the defense's interior, I think that makes things difficult. So basically what you're looking at, and this is what UNC did, they were able to get some yards on the ground. They got quite a few yards on the ground. They got 205 yards off of 45 carries, but also your best chances to get some stuff kind of going in like the mid-long range, which some of it worked, some of it didn't. Um, There's various reasons why it didn't, and there's, I guess, maybe a couple reasons why it did. Um, But, yeah, that... I think that pretty much sums it up. Howell didn't even get sacked that much. Um, Duke only had two sacks. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was under duress to such an extent that it just messed everything up. I think whatever Duke was giving him, it just didn't, it wasn't clicking for him as to how he could navigate through it. I think a thing that stands out to me here is that Deami Brown didn't catch a single pass. And, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that he's Carolina's number one target. Um, I know that there were a a number of times when I kind of watched him in particular because I realized that he had been sort of quiet. And whoever Duke's um, player was that was covering Brown, like – He's not giving him anything. So, I mean, credit to Duke's defense there. Um, But, I mean, Daz Newsom had a pretty good game, and a lot of it was sort of boomer bust when it came to 
what Carolina could get through the air. So when you look at Newsom's sort of results, he had 103 yards, which anybody would think was good, but he did it on four receptions. So it's a the numbers are interesting. I don't really know another word to describe them. It's just it's not typical results, I think. Yeah, just to shed some light on how weird this was, let's take a look at the wide receivers and what they did. So Daz Newsome, he had 103 yards, one touchdown. The longest catch he had was 47 yards. He was targeted five times. Bo Corrales, 70 yards, one touchdown. Long was 41, four targets. And, like, right there kind of, I mean, with both of those, I feel like it tells a lot. Like, the catches that they did get, they got a lot of yardage off of those catches. And so when you start going down to the other receivers, like Simmons, his, he got 20 yards receiving. His long was 20, 19 for Carter, his long 19, and it just, like, keeps going like that. So it, it was a bizarre day through the air, but, I mean – yeah, like really the story offensively for UNC in this game is definitely the running backs. Javante Williams, a really good game. Michael Carter had a good game. Um, Antonio Williams got it going a little bit, which thank God because I know we have been looking for him for most of the years, so I'm glad he showed up a little bit. Yeah, the three-headed rushing monster had sort of become a two-headed rushing monster because Antonio Williams was just missing for, I feel like, games at a time. Um, it was nice to see him get involved and, and be effective. And I feel like him being effective, the idea of it has been to make sure that the other running backs, everyone stays fresh for the end of the game. And I think that that's something that happened. Um, I think Javante was fresh for the end of the game, and that was – something that was really important. It's interesting to me because I still feel like we don't really know where Antonio Williams went. Um, There were rumors of an injury. Um, There were rumors that, you know, it was maybe something else. We may never know the truth of that. But if Mac Brown is back to using all of them while – clearly not in equal fashion because Antonio Williams only had five carries to Javante Williams is 22. Um, I think Carolina is better for it when all three of them are involved. And I mean, they definitely needed all three of them at different points throughout the game against Duke. Yeah. And honestly, this, could all be as simple as Javante Williams and Michael Carter are simply the better of the three running backs, and that's the whole story right there. We really don't know. Um, obviously, Williams did what, like five carries for 50 yards. I'd say that's pretty good. You average 10 yards per carry. That's exactly what you're looking for, but um, it's hard to really take that particular performance in this game and say oh Williams should have been playing all along because let's face it Duke just wasn't stopping them it got kind of comical after a while I mean when it mattered they got a few stops 
there was definitely a few plays where UNC decided to run, and we can sit here and debate whether or not they should have. We've been up and down this road before. Um, but for the most part, it was just that game where all of the momentum was on the ground, and that's kind of where they made their money, so to speak. So, Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a good thing that Duke wasn't able to really have an answer for Carolina's running backs because, like we just said, the sort of erraticness of what they were getting through the air wasn't really reliable. So in a game where we've seen a lot of games this season so far, I feel like, where if the if Sam Howell wasn't allowed to throw it or wasn't throwing it well, nothing was working. And this was definitely not that. Like, they were getting pretty much what they wanted on the ground. It was just the receiving was kind of shaky. Um, thankfully, it didn't matter because the rushing was effective. But the other reason why it didn't matter that the receiving was kind of shaky is that the defense was, once again, really impressive. Um, There were more than a few times where it seemed inevitable that Duke was going to score, and they held them to a field goal. I I think that was the case on Duke's uh, first scoring drive. It looked all but certain that they were going to get into the end zone, but the defense held them to a field goal. And I think we've seen that throughout this season where, like, once the opposing team gets into the red zone, Carolina's defense just, like, kicks it up a notch. And, yeah, usually it ends in in three points, but you'll take three points instead of seven points all day. Yeah, I feel like this game was a byproduct of what happened against Virginia Tech because – I'll be very honest. I haven't watched a whole lot of Duke football this year, but my understanding is that Quentin Harris being able to run, um, basically like use his feet, uh, has a lot to do with their success this year. It kind of opens up a lot of plays, and UNC kept that from happening. He had negative nine yards off of 13 attempts, so he definitely tried to run it and got nowhere. Um, so yeah, that was big in what UNC was able to do. Uh, they got some stuff going through the air, but it wasn't anything. I mean, 229 yards passing that kind of matches up with Sam Howell, give or take. I mean, it's two yards difference, but, um, I think their third down efficiency was a little, it it probably could have been a better situation, but I mean, for the most part, like, the defense did what they had done in basically every game before Virginia Tech, and I feel like that's exactly what they needed. I was a little bit worried that that game had, I don't know, maybe broke things a little, but it's hard to really tell until they get back on the field, so I'm glad that that wasn't the case. Yeah, and I mean, Duke's offense has been pretty good this season, Outside of the egg against Alabama, which is completely understandable, um, Duke scored 45, 41, 45, 30, 41. Not great 
against Virginia with 14 and then 17 against Carolina. So, I mean, that puts Carolina up there with, you know, the the teams that have held them to some of the fewest points this season. And I think that it's been nice that we have a defense that you can sort of count on to come up big like they have. I, I think the Virginia Tech game is probably an aberration just because, I mean, that game was silly. It uh, was really silly. In, in all respects. So I'm not going to hold that against them too much. But they came up really big against Duke. And, I mean, they needed every bit of it because, I mean, while we're here, might as well talk about the end of the game. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but I had basically made my peace with the fact that they were going to lose. Yeah, UNC shot themselves in the foot a lot. There was the pass interference. Two pass interference. Two pass interference. Which, the one in the end zone, it was crap. Yeah. It was abs. If that's pass interference, then every play is pass interference. Right. So that's that's my beef. And I didn't have an issue with the other pass interference call because I was fairly sure that without committing pass interference there, Duke takes it into the end zone because the guy was he had pretty much a direct line to the end zone. So I don't really have beef with that. Um, the face mask penalty yeah. was not great. Um, it's funny because, like, sometimes I'm like, did he really grab his face mask? But, like, he ripped his face mask clean off his head. Yeah. Um, the whole helmet. The whole helmet. Not just the face mask. The whole helmet. Um, so, yeah, the, those penalties. And, and to even get to that point, you know, Carolina looked like they were going to score – with the clock ticking down on the entire game, and Javante fumbled. Yeah, I think it was the six yard line. Um, I the the choice to go airborne there was a decision that was made. Um, it wouldn't have been my decision, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad that that ended up not costing them the game because it very well could have and when Duke got the ball back and just marched down the field obviously with the help of penalties but when it was first and goal at the two I didn't see any way that they were going to stop them unfortunately I mean criticize me for the lack of faith I guess but I I didn't think it was going to end well I don't think that it is Carolina football's tradition to actually end up on the winning side of that situation I really don't um one quick thing I wanted to say about that Javante Williams play where he jumps over the pile I feel like the odds of that going bad the way that he jumped over I mean they're not low but they're not like astronomically high had he reached out for the goal line I probably would be more upset but I feel like since he kept it tucked, but he wasn't close. He wasn't. That's the that's the thing. Like I feel like yeah. the decision to go through the air is a move when you're on like the one. Yeah. Not the six. Yeah, and that and that's a fair argument. But um, 
it was just one of those unfortunate plays that thankfully didn't cost them the game. But yeah, the the final play. The final play. Um Yeah, I I thought for sure that was gonna be a touchdown. There was just no bones about it. Like and I but I didn't expect them to try a passing play necessarily. I thought they were just gonna be able to punch it in and I don't know why I necessarily thought that. I just that seemed like some very well, you've got a running back who has done a whole lot of rushing yeah. this year. Um, that seems like prime territory for that kind of thing. Um, Quinn Harris could have ran it in there. They could have. That's what for, I mean. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Um, the The interesting thing is that the quarterback wasn't even the one who attempted that final pass. It was the running back, which, I mean, I guess you can give Cutcliffe credit for trying to be creative, except when you listen to everything that came out post-game, Jay Bateman knew exactly what was coming because Cutcliffe has called for that exact same play before um, against Army, I believe it was, which is where Bateman came from. So if he was trying to catch Carolina off guard, he probably picked the wrong way to do it because, I mean, again, Carolina called timeout and Bateman told his defense what he thought was coming, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing call to nail for Bateman and um, an even better interception by Surratt. I mean, the the ball was poorly thrown, but it was also poorly thrown because the guy got hit. And it just... The ball bounced off of his leg even, kind of, and he just kind of snatched it. Like, I kind of wonder what would have happened if it fell to the ground and they had to run another play, but thankfully we don't have to worry about that. I think the other thing about that play that is... It's easy to just kind of forget that it happened was there was two defenders by the intended receiver and I feel like even then like the play was just done so like yeah credit to Bateman for sniffing that out and just being like hey like this is what's coming prepare for it it's exactly what happened game over I'm just glad that Chas is coming up in these big moments because for better or worse it has to be difficult to lose your job and the fact that he took that in stride and you know learned a new position and has really done well for himself. I mean, I know that Carolina's defense has probably been the hardest hit with injuries this season, and that is exemplified by the fact that they have had to rely so heavily on Chasserat. But, I mean, Surratt has given them pretty much everything that they could ask for and he came up in the absolute biggest way against Duke and one thing that I feel like got overshadowed in all of that is that that game broke the streak yeah it broke the in-state FBS team losing streak that feels like it's gone on for like 16 years at this point that's not true but it feels like it and I think Um, In the excitement of beating Duke and getting the victory bell back, it kind of got lost a little bit that, like, oh, that 
huge monkey is now off Carolina's back because it felt like at some point it would just last forever. That whole situation was exhausting. <laughs> it was. It, it was exhausting. It was comical. I mean, even App State came into town and they've just gotten waxed by ECU like multiple times and it's just like they couldn't buy a win against an FBS team in this state and I think it's kind of funny that like I don't know if it was because it was Duke or because it was homecoming or because of how it happened but I feel like that kind of got lost in all the talk about yesterday's win um but that is that has to just be a huge relief for those guys. If for nothing else, then they don't have to talk about it anymore because I'm sure that they're sick of hearing about it. Well, not to mention, I think for the seniors, that might have been the first time that they've beaten Duke, right? Yeah. I mean, that even that alone, like, is just a crazy thing to think about like those seniors have never had possession of the victor bill and we've talked at length before and probably beaten just the most dead horse at this point but it's really a credit to how things have turned around that like you can see already like the emotional toll that it had to have taken on those guys and as as little fun as we had watching as fans you know that they had to be miserable as well and so I'm super happy for all of them that they could finally get that out of the way and I mean they still have a big game against State coming up, and that would be another really good win to get out of the way because, I mean, I will take the loss to Wake Forest and Appalachian State if we can trade that for a win over Duke and State all day. Absolutely. Um, Tanya, before we go to commercial break, I found a very interesting tidbit of information um, the last time, besides this most recent three-game winning streak by Duke, the last time that that happened was 87 to 89. So um, I wasn't born. No. No. Um, I was one year old. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, and after that, Carolina went on the craziest streak. I, I'm not even going to count the games. It was that many. Then Duke broke it. Then Carolina won even more games. So, yeah, it's 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 good to have the victory belt back. Needless it is good. So um, we'll go to a quick commercial break. When we get back, we'll do best of the game, worst of the game, and close things out. Be right back. All right, and we are back. So, Tanya, let's talk best, worst of the game. Um, I feel like I have an idea of where we might go with best of the game. We, I might actually have a different answer than yours. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. So what is your best of this game? I'm actually going to say Jay Bateman because okay. 
I don't know if I'm allowed to give it to not a player, but I, I'm going to because, yeah, I mean, his defense was a huge reason why the game was even winnable. And him being able to sort of read Cutcliffe's mind and know what was coming on that final play to put his players in the best position to defend the final play, I think put them pretty much ahead of what was almost an impossible situation. So credit to him. Um, I think he's been really good all season. He's really turned the unit around despite every injury known to man. And um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. That is a very good best of the game, for sure. And just so you know, there are no rules in this dojo. So your answer is very acceptable. (laughs) Um, I'm actually going to give my best of the game to Daz Newsome for that ridiculous catch he had behind the defender's back. That was silly. I mean, that – what was it? Uh, number two on Sports Center last night. It was, um, and it was very deserved because that was just absolutely crazy. There's just no way in Hades that he should have made that catch. There really isn't. It was phenomenal. Also, let's talk about the fact that, like, I think our colleague Matt Farinchek, uh said this that Daz Newsom might be the best receiver in the country with one arm tied behind his back. Like, he is ridiculous. Um, And he makes some absolutely miraculous catches, and that was certainly one of them. That one should go on the highlight reel. Yeah. It just, his hands, during at least for that catch alone, was just, how do you not let go of that ball? You have to, like, the defender's probably moving around him a little bit in between there. You're hitting the ground. It just, it was incredible. It was incredible. So that is definitely my best of the game. So this is where it gets a little, I mean, not a little tough. There's definitely some candidates, but what would be your worst of the game? So this is a hot take podcast. And I feel like sometimes we don't do enough hot takes on the Hot Take Podcast, (laughs) but I'm about to fire one off. Fire away. My worst of the game is anyone who complained about the Navy uniforms. Yeah. Because I love the Navy uniforms. (laughs) I would like to submit the Navy uniforms for museums. They should be put in the Smithsonian. Like... The Navy uniforms are amazing. And those helmets that they brought out yesterday Ooh. with the foot and the, like, the argyle. F- faded argyle down the middle, like, they were perfect. And anyone who doesn't like them gets my worst of the game. Yeah. Because I disagree completely. And, I mean, honestly, I like some variety in the uniforms And as far as I'm concerned, we should never wear the black again because it's probably cursed. Um, If Mac Brown hasn't already burned them at, like, midfield and, like, burned sage with them to cleanse the spirit of bad football past, he probably should do that. (laughs) Um, And that doesn't leave us a whole lot of options. So here for the Navy, not here for people not here for the Navy. I'm sorry. 
the argument against the Navy, I feel like, is irrational because everybody is very pro-Carolina blue, and I get that, but also there's Carolina blue in those uniforms. So it's not like they're completely absent of... Like, imagine if... Here is what I would hate. If Carolina came out onto the field with some black-on-black uniforms with, like, no blue to be seen, I would just be like, what are you doing? Go back into the locker room and change. But there's... There's Carolina blue in there. I don't understand what the problem is. And it also kind of goes back to, you remember those black uniforms that the basketball team had. Those were amazing. I would pay great money to have one of those jerseys in my closet right now. But, I, I mean, I obviously with the football team, that is a cursed situation. So I'm not recommending that for the football team. Can't do stretch. the black in football anymore. No. It, it might be over with. No, but my point is, as long as there's Carolina blue in the uniform and it actually looks good, I don't see the problem. Also, like, let's talk about how good of a look it would be to do, like, a Carolina blue top with the navy pants. Yeah. Like, that would look so good. Or even a white top with the navy pants. The navy pants get, I mean, the navy uniform in general just gives them more dimension to the uniforms. That's what's hot in the streets in 2019. I think it's fun. I I don't think it means that they're going away from Carolina Blue. Like, they wear Carolina Blue almost every week. It's fine to have a special week here and there uh, where they do something a little different. And I don't know. I'm a big fan. I heard complaints that, like, they shouldn't have done it against Duke because Duke has a similar shade of blue. But, like, I don't think it's – that similar i mean duke blue is very much like a royal blue not a navy blue maybe that's splitting hairs but i don't think it is i like the blue and i don't know people will probably like be very angry about this but i'm i'm very adamant in my support of the navy i feel good about it i feel like they should break it out more often those helmets were sexy and yeah, I I'm all for the Navy. Yeah, I'm very here for the Navy too. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you, Tanya. I am having a very hard time finding my worst of the game. And like I said, there's candidates for sure. Um, there's the fact that Jonathan Kim came out and kicked that football all the way right. Um, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best. Um, I can have a second worst of the game. What is your second worst of the game? Duke's coach being the whiniest after the game. Yeah. um, Him complaining that the defense was imitating his offense's cadence and causing them to false start, like – Get over it, dude. If you have something that's, like, that easily repeatable that all the defense has to do is say a couple words and your dudes are jumping early, like, that seems like a you problem. Yeah. And when you lose, you have to know that it just sounds like sour grapes. It does. And 
honestly, like, the problem with us not being on the field for any of these games, like, you know, coaches are on the field, players are on the field, referees are on the field. Like, we don't hear what's happening at the line of scrimmage. We don't hear the trash talk. We don't hear stuff like, yeah, imitating snap counts or whatever. But, like, it, look – People can say whatever they want as long as the NCAA rules allow them to say it. And, like, I know that it's a highly emotional situation and they're, like, sticking a camera in your face a minute after you lose a game and telling you, like, you have to talk about this right now. I get all of that, but at the same time, I just feel like it can come across as super whiny And in that situation, it's just like, if you don't want somebody to copy your cadence, and obviously not everyone has that problem, or everyone would jump off sides, like, literally every time, um, then it's up to you to fix that. And the first couple times it happens, maybe you should do something to fix it. You should probably have a contingency plan so that it doesn't just continue on and on and on. So, yeah, I'm not here for him complaining. I guess this podcast did turn into, like, all hot takes all the time because I'm just coming for everyone right now. But, <laughs> you know, that's what you signed up for, I guess. Coming for those next. I think <laughs> I actually am going to give the worst of the game to Jonathan Kim. I, I mean, he to, was put in a bad position. He was put in a bad position, but also... I don't I'm, think they should have ever even, like, gone down that path because, I mean, yes, Ruggles struggled against Virginia Tech, but also we self-iced him, and that's not his fault. So, I don't know. All of that was weird to me. I didn't think it was deserved. You're putting Kim in a really bad position as a true freshman and, and telling him to go out there and kick a very long field goal against Duke. Yeah. On homecoming, like... It just didn't feel good. So I think if I was going to do that, I would say the whole, like, kicking controversy that wasn't would be the worst of the game. I don't blame Kim, and I think he was put in a really, really crappy position. Well, and I was actually just going to get there, like – it's more Sorry about, to steal your thunder there. No, it's it's okay. Um, basically, where I was going to go with this is, like – the kick was really bad. Like, the play itself was really, really bad. But, yeah, like you said, like, the kid got put in a poor position to begin with. Like, I don't – like, I'm not here to say that he should never kick a football again or anything like that. Um, and I actually mentioned it in the Three Things Learn article that I wrote, too. Like, you know, Ruggles went back in there. He was two for two. But also when you consider what he's done all year, like he hasn't exactly been the world's greatest kicker either. And I think that turns into the whole the special teams unit is just a struggle this year. And I there's just it's hard to find some type of solution for that. And it it it's got to be fixed for next year. It's not going to be fixed this year because I feel like it's just an unfixable situation. What you have now is this you basically have to find ways to keep things from getting to a point where like special teams is 
relied upon to win you games because that's going to be a scary situation. My hot take is that I kind of disagree. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that ever since Kiernan has worked out his punting issues, special teams has mostly been fine. Um, I know that Ruggles hasn't been perfect by any means, but I was really shocked to hear that they were considering going away from him because I don't think he's been bad at all. Um, I think the return situation has been not ideal, um, but that's really my only bone to pick. I, I Yeah, I think mostly the last few games things have been all right, and that's why I don't feel like there was any reason to shake it up and do anything like rash um and i feel like it could only serve to to do harm because i mean what is jonathan kim's confidence at this point um (laughs) after that And, and maybe it's fine maybe i'm not giving him enough credit but it just seemed like there was nothing to be gained from that um I don't. I don't feel like Ruggles should be punished for what happened at Virginia Tech. It was rough, but also like that game was just ridiculously dumb all around, yeah. top to bottom. So yeah, I guess uh, if I'm coming for everybody, I'm coming for you too, Brandon. Because like, <laughs> yeah, I I feel like the special teams has mostly been all right. I wish the return game was a little bit better, but other than that, I haven't had a whole lot of complaints. I feel like we can meet in the middle and just say that it could be better. Yeah, it could be better. Um, But I don't think it's been the problem that it was at the beginning, particularly on the punting end, where it was just like, yikes, times five. It's definitely been better. Or I'm sorry, yeah, it's definitely been better than it was at the beginning of the season. So, I mean, they do deserve that much credit. But, yeah, just the fact that they even – put Kim in that position was just like I feel like a byproduct of the dysfunction that's been there but to your point with them being better I mean it's not like they're the worst unit but I also feel like they could be better too so yeah we'll we'll meet on the (laughs) middle on that for sure Brandon do you have anything else on this game I think I'm good I'm very curious to see what happens against Virginia but it's going to be a big game. Uh, Virginia lost um, against Louisville yesterday, which put Carolina back in an okay position in the Coastal. Um, every time it seems like they may be doomed, something happens because the Coastal is just drunk. So um, beating Virginia is going to be super, super important. And we'll see if they can do it it's another sold out crowd keenan stadium should be pretty good atmosphere but carolina's gonna have to take care of business and beat the cavaliers and and that's been a bit of a hard proposition as of late so hopefully they can do it can you imagine being a clemson fan and just watching all of the dysfunction in the coastal you're just like couldn't be me yeah. That that's it. That's Clemson all the time. There's nobody to be scared of in the coastal. Like there just isn't. Virginia is your best chance of being afraid of anything. I mean, is there anybody to be scared of in the ACC if you're Clemson? No. 
yeah, if you're Clemson, you just have to kind of be looking down at everything else and watching the madness happen, like that scene in Mean Girls where Regina George is just, like, standing on the steps watching everyone fight and, like, <laughs> throw things around her, and she's just like, well, this is my life. Yep. That's Clemson. That's Clemson. So they can I, – I don't know what they're – we're not going to dive into that. We just won't. So, yeah, we can go ahead and wrap things up if you like. So our other shows will be back later this week with some basketball – and football preview stuff. We will be back on Sunday to wrap up the Virginia game. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Tanya Bondurant or at Tar Heel Blog, and Brandon's on Twitter at THB Brandon. In the meantime, go Heels. Go Heels.